spirit and truth, and that we would hear from you today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Who would like to select the first one? Oh, man. How about Miss Lily? You go first. And Mr. Doug, I'll get you next. 526. 526. The solid rock. All right, let's go ahead and stand. Miss Lily, would you like to read the verse with that one? Then Jesus, no, no, that's that's just fine. Well, yes, First Corinthians three eleven. All right, the first verse and chorus of the solid rock. Please join us. My faith has found a resting place. I feel like I know it. Oh boy. Well, hey, let's let's here. How about you read the verse for us, and then we'll we'll jump into it. Thank you. All righty. Let's try this out. And it's great that the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That means it doesn't have to be perfect. So let's, we don't even have to play it perfect. It's okay. All right, here we go. My faith has found a resting place. It is a little stressful whenever you're trying to sing it for the first time with a microphone in front of people, but that's okay. <laughs> Someone, else, yes, ma'am, Miss Isla. Two hundred fifty-eight. Two five eight. Go tell it on the mountain. The first of the Christmas ones, uh, and the verse with that one, ma'am. what we need to be like the shepherds sharing the truth of what God has shown us let's do the chorus first verse and chorus go 
bunch of them. 505. 505. He touched me. Would you like to read the verse? Thank you. Thank you. I haven't sung this one in a long time. First verse and chorus. Shackled by a Yes, ma'am, Miss Isla. 504, without him. Would you like to read the verse? Thank you. for butchering it but uh someone else last one 521 yes ma'am miss shirley 521 a new name in glory would you like to read the verse with that one ma'am thank you Thank you. 521, a new name in glory. Let's do the first verse and the chorus. I 
I was once a sinner, but I came hearted to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I felt that He always kept His word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's So, finding your Bibles, Ephesians chapter number four, I want to share a thought with you. And um, as you're turning there, how many of you have ever had an unpleasant time sitting at a restaurant? Talking about eating a meal or somebody prepares something and it just ain't up to par. Anybody? Maybe a wife, maybe a husband. I know I have. I wanted some salmon cakes one night. I tried making them, and they turned out to be like Play-Doh. So I haven't made them since then. But um, as I think about a, a restaurant experience that my wife and I have, we went to one restaurant. And, in fact, my wife was talking about the restaurant today, not this particular instance, but the uh, it's one of her favorite places to go. Sadly, the, I know some people, probably ladies, are going to be upset that I'm speaking bad, uh, almost blasphemous things about um, – the Cracker Barrel, but it was a bad experience we had with that. But I, I like the Cracker Barrel. Still went. and uh, But one instance, my wife and I uh, sat down to eat our meal. It was about, what, a year ago, honey? Something like that? A little over a year ago? Something. I don't know, but it was around that time. And as we sit da- sat down and uh, ordered our food, I didn't get a salad, but my wife did. And she got a salad, and they brought it out there. Everything looked nice. The greens were all like they should be and I looked down at her food and something was brown and I was like what is that 
And sure enough, it was a rotten tomato. I told my wife, I said, honey, don't eat that. That thing just, it looked nasty. I mean, it looked like it was something that was just going to make me sick looking at it. And uh, when I think about it, something as simple as that, that one little piece of fruit ruined the whole batch. And when I think about it, just that one simple tomato ruined her whole salad. And in fact, she didn't even eat it. And uh, I'd been concerned if my wife ate that. And, and uh, but as I think about it, there's a sin that can creep into our lives. And I tell you, one little sin that is undealt with the sin I'm going to talk about tonight will spoil us as Christians. And uh, understand this: as Christians and believers, God's desire for Christians is that we, as believers, bear fruit. And I'm afraid that the subject I'm going to deal with will do something to a Christian to the point to where we bear fruit that is displeasing to the Lord to the point it will literally spoil our fruit. And you say, what sin is that? Have you ever considered, uh, I, and it's not that God classifies sins, but we, I believe as believers, sometimes like to classify sins and we talk about immorality, we talk about uh, murder, idolatry, all of these sins. And we pick on these sins, but I believe the sin I'm going to deal with tonight is one of the sins that I believe destroys marriages. I believe destroys churches. I believe that it is something that is, that is very vital that can, it can just destroy us as individuals. And you say, what sin is that? It's the sin of bitterness. Now, uh, it's kind of funny because uh, Brother Steve was joking with me, thinking I was going to preach on this, and uh, I was already planning on it. I wasn't singling you out. But uh, <laughs> it's just an inside joke. He, he, you can ask him about it later. But um, as I think about uh, the sin of bitterness, it's a sin that is not an outward sin, but it's an inward sin. And I believe this, it doesn't discriminate. It's something that a husband can harbor in his heart, as well as a wife, as well as children. Anybody and everybody can be guilty of this sin. And you know the danger of it? It's something that you can't see. Now that's scary when you think about it because uh, it's a sin of the heart. It's not a sin of the outward, but rather the inward. And what we find is, is Paul is going to address this sin with this church. And now, what I want to do this evening is do something a little bit different than I normally uh, typically do as far as preaching and teaching or whatever. But I want to deal with this subject of uh, the the uh, sin of bitterness. And what I want us to do, we're really going to be in two passages of Scripture. It's going to be Ephesians 4 as well as Hebrews 12. But I want to focus primarily for right now on Ephesians 4. And I want us to begin reading in uh, verse number 31. Notice what the Word of God says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what we find here that I believe that Paul is trying to speak about? He's trying to speak about, I believe, a bitter root that will spoil your fruit. You know something that's interesting about this idea of a root of, or this idea of bitterness? The word means and gives the idea of a bitter root. Now, I, I told some people earlier I like to garden. And one thing about it is, is if a garden is unkept, weeds will eventually pop up and it will choke the life out of a plant. It will hurt 
the the productivity of that uh, garden. And what we have to understand is, as a garden needs to be uh, weeded, it needs to be plucked out as far as the, the, the things that will harm the garden. The same is said for a believer in this idea of a bitter root. Because friends, if you leave a bitter root within your heart, it will spoil your fruit. And it will hurt your marriage. It will hurt your relationship possibly with your children. It will hurt your relationship with your parents. It will hurt your relationship with the people in your church. And it's something that is so simple that God, uh, or excuse me, that the enemy Satan will come into your life and will insert something into your life and he will come to sink that seed of bitterness within our hearts. And so what I want us to do this evening is ask ourselves this question, am I a bitter person? Am I battling any kind of bitterness? Is there anything in my life or bitterness in my life that has spoiled the fruit in my life? Am I dealing with anything? You know, it's a holiday season. People come around that normally don't. And there are sometimes bad relationships between whether it be family members or in-laws. I thank the Lord I have some good in-laws, and I'm not just saying that. I really have a good relationship. I don't have outlaws, but I'm sure some people probably do. And um, although my family on my side is more like the, uh, I don't know, they're probably more like the Beverly Hillbillies without the money. But, uh, <laughs> but um yeah, when I think about it, I want us to ask ourselves this question, am I dealing with bitterness? And see, here's the interesting thing. Though you may not be dealing with bitterness right now, you mark it down and bitterness can come in our lives in a moment's notice in anybody's life so easily. And so let's learn some truths this evening as we ask the Lord to bless and be with us as He teaches us about this bitter root that will spoil your fruit if it's undealt with. Father, as we come to You, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, I ask you to help me this evening. Empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. May you speak to each and every one of us, Father, that we can take a truth that you have for us and apply it to our lives to where we can be more like your son, Jesus. Father, I don't know where people are at as far as their relationships uh, with one another or with their uh, spouse or whoever. But Lord, you know, and I pray you would take this word and use it in our hearts this evening. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to notice something about uh, the root of bitterness. See, this idea, as I said, of the root of bitterness, verse 31, it gives the idea that bitterness, as I've already said, is a bitter root, and so it produces a bitter fruit. And it is something that displeases God. It's something that is anger compressed within a person. Now, how many people have ever had an issue in their life and instead of dealing with it, they bury it? <laughs> they compress it. They compartmentalize it. They take and do away with it. And people think by nature or by default, I should say, since I'm, I'm going to ignore it, it's just going to work itself out. And that's the danger of bitterness, that bitterness is a root sin. It is something that spoils you within. It sinks root within your heart. And if you do not deal with it, it will come out and hurt you in your relationship with somebody. And so what we find is various truths. The first one that I find is, number one, the place that a bitter root gives to the devil. You say, how do you, how do you get that? Notice the Word of God is very interesting because 
when you read the Word of God in a, in a whether it be a chapter, whether it be a section of Scripture, it, it, it's a letter written. Uh, just give you an idea, Ephesus. There was a church in Ephesus. Paul was writing to a church at Ephesus. And uh, as he was writing to this church, he it was a letter that God ultimately had for this church. And what we find is, is this chapter, it, it all flows together. And to give you an idea, verse 25, he's talking about putting away some things. Verse 22, he's talking about putting off some things. And what he wants them to do is to live in newness of, uh, uh, to, to walk in newness of life, that to live a life that is uh, exemplary of a Christian. They exemplify what it is to, uh, to look like Christ, to live like Christ. And what he wanted them to understand was, is there are sins that are in our lives that will do something, and that is this, they will give place to the devil. And he mentions various sins. He talks about uh, lying gives place to the devil. He talks about anger in our lives. See, anger is not bad. I had a little bit of it this morning. Righteous indignation over politics and different people. But we won't go into that. And I'm going to stay on that side of be angry, he says, and sin not. It's the idea of having righteous anger, not letting it get a hold of you. And what's interesting is, just to give you an idea, that idea of anger and the idea of anger in verse 29, I believe it is. No, excuse me, 31. Those are two different words, and it gives two different ideas. See, that anger in verse 26 is the idea of being mad, whereas this anger, we'll find later, has a totally different meaning. But the reason why I'm saying all of that is what we find is, is bitterness is found in this list of giving place to the devil. And see, what I'm saying is, when we have bitterness within our hearts, what we do is, is we give, as it says, verse 26, place unto the devil. Now you say, that's crazy. Let me give you an example. In Matthew, I believe it's 16, there's a man by the name of uh, the Apostle Peter. Now Peter was a man that walked with Christ. And what's interesting about Peter is there came a point in Jesus' ministry where he told his disciples he was going to the cross, he was going to suffer, bleed, and die, and go and die for all people. And it says that Peter turned and rebuked him and said, No, be it far from thee, Lord, that's not going to happen. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Literally, you're being an adversary to what I have to say. You're going against what I want to do. And what we find is, when sin is present, very simply put, whatever sin it is, it gives place to the devil in your life and my life. And so what we find is, is this right here, that when we don't deal with that bitter root in our hearts, we're saying, devil, come on and have a place in my life. Now, what I want you to understand is, think of it like this. Verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. You read on down and he talks about various things, like I said, stealing, working with your hands instead. He talks about corrupt communication. Verse 30 even says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You know what's interesting about all of these sins? He says, instead of stealing... Let a man work with his hands. He said instead of speaking corrupt communications, let a person speak edification. He gives something to them and says this, don't do this and do this. 
So he's going to tell us in, in just a minute, instead of being bitter, what we should do. Because bitterness chooses not to do something. And I won't spoil it, but it's verse 32. It's the idea. That's what we do instead of being bitter. But what we need to understand is this idea that bitterness gives place to the devil, that word place is an inhabited place. That's what it means, or a city. But it can also give the idea of this right here, that place could mean power or opportunity. Now, think of it in such a way that when we choose not to deal with bitterness, we are saying, Satan, come have a place in my life. Literally have an opportunity in my life to destroy my marriage, to destroy my relationship with somebody around me. Have power in my life. Now, I've got a question. How many people have a guest room? Would you raise your hand? All right, with various people. Now, how many of you go probably each morning, you make that bed, and you sit there and fluff that pillow, and you do all of that for Satan? You say, Satan, I'm, I'm making you a nice little bed, a warm, cozy place to lay your head. Now, that's just absurd to think, is it not? I mean, who in their right mind would want to say, Satan, I'm going to give you a place in my home. I'm going to let you take and have a nice, cozy place. I'm even going to fluff you a pillow, Satan. I'm going to give you somewhere where you feel cozy and right at home. See, that's the idea of giving place to the devil. You are saying, Satan, I'm going to give you such a cozy place you don't want to leave. See, this is what we need to understand. Bitterness is something that is an attribute, not of God, but of Satan. And so therefore, it will give Satan such an opportunity in our lives, in our marriages. It is something that must be dealt with. I mean, can you imagine coming to church and having a place set out just for him? Now, let's just let's think for a moment. That place right beside Hunter is where Satan likes to sit. He has a place. Sorry to pick on you, buddy. I just knew your name, so I was gonna, I was gonna call you by name. But just imagine that. That's just crazy to think that I'm gonna give Satan a place to sit right there. That's his special place. Make sure you have a nice little seat for him right there, so he can sit right there and cozy himself up. You know, that's just absurd. But you know something? We do that whether we believe it or not with our actions when we choose not to deal with the bitterness that comes into our lives. And what we choose to do is to say, I can deal with it by just forgetting it. And we don't understand there's damage that's going to be done. And so, number one, we see the place that it gives to the devil. But number two, notice something else. See, it gives place to the devil, but I want you to notice when a bitter root is undealt with, it will cause pollution. See, number two, the pollution that a bitter root causes. See, I want you to hold your place in Ephesians and find Hebrews 12 with me, if you would, please. Use that as a marker. Hebrews chapter number 12. And I want you to find yourself in verse 15. Notice what the Word of God says, verse 15 looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root, notice the word root of bitterness, springing up trouble you, and thereby, he says, many, many be defiled. You know something? That idea of a bitter root, he says, it finds place in many people. And I'm, I'm just saying to this evening that bitterness will take a person and it will pollute them, it will defile them, it will do something to them 
that displeases the Lord, but I'm telling you right now, it's just it, it, it's miserable being around some people. That are, have, have you ever been around some people that just have a bad spirit, and you're thinking, "Please go away from me." You don't tell them that, but you may think, "Oh, you're just so sour to be around. I just can't stand it right now." And that idea of being defiled literally gives the idea to pollute, to contaminate. Now, if I ask the question, how many people like to be contaminated? Nobody. And so if I'm going to be around somebody that has been contaminated or polluted by bitterness, I'm telling you, it's something that can be contagious. You ever been around somebody that is uh, dealing with something, whether it be they're angry? I hate to use that word because, like I said, there's some times to be a little angry have some righteous anger of some things in this world some things just shouldn't sit well with a christian but anyhow we'll save that for another day and he says that literally many there be defiled and he says unto them that that root of bitterness springing up it troubles you literally disturbs or annoys you you know something we'll find in just a moment bitterness when it's undealt with will annoy a, a, a person a believer it will disturb you you ever met some of the most miserable people in the world? Christians. <laughs> people that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, have a home in heaven, yet they're so miserable because sin has never been dealt with in their life. And so what I find is this right here. Bitterness will literally spoil you. It will ruin you. Give you an example. Old Testament, the book of Ruth. An interesting book deals with a family... Malon, Kilion, Elimelech, and Naomi. A family of four, a husband and wife. Elimelech takes his family and they go all the way out of Bethlehem, Judah into a place called Moab. Now literally, Bethlehem, Judah means uh, the house of bread. They left the house of bread because hardship came, famine came, and they decided it wasn't good enough to live in that land, that they weren't getting what they needed to get, that they couldn't survive. And so they left the will of God. They left the, pro they, they left the land that God had given them. And they chose to go and do their own thing. And they went on their own mission. And they went into their own land. And it was Moab. <laughs> My little one, she's hungry. She gets that way. And so... As they left the house of bread, they went to the wash pot. That's literally what Moab means. And they went down there, and the sad tragedy is Elimelech lost his life. Elimelech lost his life, and it doesn't just stop there. Malon, Kilion found them wives of Moab. And as they found them wives, it wasn't long until Malon and Kilion lost their lives. And what you find is there's one woman, a widow woman left to herself, Naomi. Her name literally means or gives the idea of being sweet, pleasant. And in the Old Testament or in the Bible days, a name meant something. It represented a person and their character. And so this woman was supposed to be pleasant, supposed to be sweet. And she left, I believe, I believe God spared her just a side note because she followed her husband despite uh, their disobedience God spared her and she pushed Orpah one of her daughter-in-laws away and Ruth and Naomi went back home the people came excited as can be saw her and said look Naomi's back Naomi's back ten years have passed yet the woman came back and she came 
with a bitter spirit. And she said, no more call me Naomi, call me Mara, literally bitter. She said, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. And it wasn't that God dealt bitterly with them. <coughs> Excuse me. It was that they chose to walk away. And they, in their disobedience, in their pursuit of whatever it was, had some hardships, had some difficulties, and it affected their spirits. Specifically, I should say it affected her spirit. And she went from a pleasant, sweet woman to a bitter woman. It contaminated her to the point to where she had a bad spirit and pushed people away. And so what I find is, number one, bitterness undealt with gives place to the devil. But number two, bitterness undealt with pollutes a believer. But number three, I find this, there is something interesting that takes place when bitterness is undealt with and it progresses. And it doesn't just stay as a seed, but it goes beyond a seed. You say, how do you get that? Hold, as I said, I hope you held your place. Ephesians 4 is where we're going back to. But notice what the Word of God says. Verse 31. The Bible teaches, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what's interesting about verse 31? Is it starts off with bitterness. It ends with malice, and it's encompassed in a colon. So the idea is, is that the Word of God is trying to carry a thought, and that thought starts with bitterness, and it ends with malice. And when you look up those words and you define them, it gives you this right here, that it progresses from a root of bitterness to something more. And you say, how is that? Because it starts off with just a seed. You ever had somebody, or you ever taken a seed and planted it in the ground, and you taken, you, you poke a hole in the ground, you put it in there, you wait a couple weeks, and uh, that seed pops up and then it goes to something beautiful or big or whatever it is. What's the same idea with that? If it starts off as a root, something is coming up and it's going to grow and, and it's going to uh, nourish into something. And what we find is, is that idea of bitterness, as I've already said, is a bitter root. And the idea is, is if it's a bitter root, it starts from a seed. And see, that seed can be this right here. Satan can come to you and he can say to you, wives, after your husband maybe has said something to you or said it in a way that you don't like. And maybe your husband, by the way, was wrong for how he said it. And you know what? Somebody, or I should say something, Satan is in your ear telling you, did you hear how he spoke to you? Did you hear that? You should be mad at him. Take that frying pan and bust him upside his head. Some ladies are laughing right now. They probably thought that. My wife's probably thought that. You know something, or it could be the other way where my wife has said something to me in such a way she wouldn't do that. She's 99.9% .9 perfect. But she has. no, <laughs> And there's no, no perfect marriage. But anyhow, we all have our difficulties. And she could say something to me, and Satan could be in my ear and say, did you hear how she spoke to you? Did you hear how your son spoke to you? Or did you hear how you were dealt with at work? See, it starts with a seed, and Satan loves to take that seed and plant it within your heart. And it, and it comes to fruition by you dwelling on it, by you thinking on it, by you never dealing with it. And what we find is, is Satan likes to take situations in our lives 
And it's funny because it's the smallest sometimes of situations. Literally, something so little, something so just, excuse me, but so stupid. It could just be something like toothpaste not being twisted on the top. And you sit there and say, I can't believe this. And you have a fight over that. Or you stew on something just so little and insignificant. See, it starts off with a seed and it goes from a seed to sinking root in your heart. And it doesn't just stop there until you deal with it. That's why he says, let all. He, he says, don't miss any single bit of bitterness in your life. Because any bit of bitterness undealt with will grow into something that will not help you. And I'll show you what it is. See, it starts with a root of bitterness. Or I should say, a seed that comes in our lives through circumstances, whether it be at work, whether it be your relationship, whatever it is, that seed undealt with sinks roots into your heart, and it goes beyond that to the next word we find, verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath. See, that idea of wrath, it gives you the idea of anger boiling up and then soon subsiding down. So the idea is that it gives you this idea that it, 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 your temper, your anger, your aggravation rises and then it settles down. You ever been around somebody that maybe has done you wrong? And, and by the way, let me say this. Bitterness, by the way, is justifiable anger. Now think about that. And by that I'm saying you can be right and being angry, but you take it to the point to where you harbor something in your heart against them. Because somebody can do you wrong and you're wanting to hold it against them. You're wanting to, 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 to stew on it and be mad in such a way that it's sinful to the point to where you never deal with it God's way. And what we find is when that bitterness sinks roots into your heart, it goes from bitterness or bitter root to, to, to the next word that I said, and that, that word gives you the idea of you being around somebody and them making you mad. The word wrath is that anger rising up and then settling down. It, it can be this. You are around your spouse or around a person that's done you wrong and you just boil for a minute. And then you can easily just settle back down. You ever been that way? And you know something? We think it's okay because we're not doing anything about it or we're not showing it. It's within our heart. But you know something? It'll eventually come out and we'll show you. See, it starts off as a bitter root, but undealt with it goes to wrath, which is the idea of anger boiling up and then soon subsiding down, which goes to the next word, which is the word anger. And that's movement or agitation of the soul. <laughs> How many of you have ever been aggravated by being around somebody? I mean, literally, you've been around somebody. Maybe you've been next to your wife or your husband in the bed, and you can't even touch arms, or you can't even, you've got to draw that line, and you're just over here. I've got my side, you've got your side. Woman, don't cross that side. Husband, don't you cross that side. You ever been aggravated with somebody because you've had something done to you or something said to you and you've never dealt with it? And it's not just you getting angry and then it calming down. It's literally just vexing you, agitating you, aggravating you just to be around them or in that situation, maybe on a workplace. And you're like, man, I just can't stand being around them. We're in this job right now. I just can't stand it because that bitter root is still in your heart. 
I've been there. I, I've, I've been to the point I'm thinking, I just, I, I got to leave, right? I can't be around you right now because you're aggravating me so bad. And I don't tell them that. I have it within my heart because it's a bitter root. See, it's an agitation of the soul. It's something nobody can see. And so what we find is, is that bitter root undealt with goes to wrath, then anger. But notice the next word is the word clamor. See, when that bitterness is never dealt with, it gets to the point to where it can no longer be compartmentalized within. It can no longer be harbored from within. But it has to come out, which is the word clamor. It means to cry out. To call somebody and tell them how they dealt with you, how they spoke to you, how it worked. It was so unfair. You were treated in such a wrong way. Can you believe that? I just can't believe it. And you're, what you're doing is, is you're airing it out to everybody. Somebody's got to hear how you have been done. And instead of crying out to God, you cry out to somebody else. And I'm thinking, in my heart, I've done that. Instead of me going to God in prayer and saying, God, I'm a bitter person with this situation right here. And then instead of me dealing with it in a right way, I'm dealing with it in a wrong way because I'm bitter. I'm cl- I, That word clamor, as I said, it means to, to cry out. But it doesn't just stop there. The next word, when bitterness is undealt with, see, it starts off with a bitter root, but the next word is evil speaking. That is slander or injurious speech to another's name. You're literally saying, you know what? Did you hear how Steve was? Did you hear how he spoke to me? That dirty, rotten, no good scoundrel. He is nothing but the lowest of the low. And what I'm doing is is I'm cutting the man and I'm speaking bad about the man and I'm not even telling, telling him to his face. I'm telling everybody else. You know, one of the, the, the things and traits of the devil is, is that he's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to slander people to God. He loves to take and speak bad about a person. And what we need to do and learn is, if you have a problem with somebody, you should be man or woman enough or, or, or enough of a Christian to go to them and speak to them and deal with it. Not speak about them to somebody or speak badly about them to somebody. And it just shows when we do this how bitter we are. You know, if you can't say something good about somebody, it's probably best not to say anything about it or about them. And there may be even an ounce of truth in that slander that you're speaking about somebody. And so what we find is is it doesn't stop there. Now you say that's pretty hard. A, a root of bitterness. When bitterness is undealt with in my life, you're telling me it gets to the point to where you'll slander somebody. I'm telling you, it can get to the point. I can think of one person in my uh, family, and uh, his spouse and him had problems. And I would tell him, You need to deal with that in your home. Stop going to our family. Stop going to me or whoever and talking bad about that person. You know what it rooted itself in? Bitterness. Because he chose not to deal with it God's way. You don't need to air out your laundry to everybody and their mother and brother and sister. If you have an issue, don't don't say anything at all. Go to God first and then deal with it, dealing with them. But anyhow, it doesn't... (laughs) It doesn't stop there. I'm laughing at my little one. She's watching me right now. She's making sure I'm saying everything correct. She's got her little Bible. No. 
And so what we find is, is it starts with a root of bitterness, but the progression winds up dealing with this right here, the word malice. Now this is sad, but it's so very true. See, malice finds this right here, or teaches this right here, excuse me. Malice means ill will or the desire to injure. Literally, I've been hurt, and I'm going to hurt somebody. Or I've been hurt, and I hope that you feel my pain. Or I've been hurt, now somebody, I hope, hurts you. You ever been to the point to where you want somebody to be hurting? You want somebody to feel your pain. And not to sympathize, but to suffer. You want it to happen to them, so not that they can sympathize for you, but so that they can suffer for how you have been dealt with. Or you've been in a bad situation, you're bitter, and you have got to the point to where it's undealt with, and now it's time for them to be in some pain. Maybe I'm the only one that's been in a demented situation, but I've been there where I'm thinking, Lord, strike them dead, kill them now, and that's so wrong. I think about the disciples when they prayed and said, Lord, let us call fire down from heaven. And Jesus turned to them and rebuked them, and He said, "Ye know not what spirit you're of. See, God's desire, His heart's desire is not to condemn, it's to save. It's not to hurt, it's to help. It's not to, to take and just strike down with vengeance. It's to help us understand that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And what we find is, bitterness will get to the point to where you want them to be hurting. Isn't that just so contrary to the heart of God? I mean, it's so different than what God is. And we can get there. Let me give you an example. In the Bible, you go and read, one of the first acts of bitterness is between two brothers. You know those two brothers? It's Cain and Abel. Cain didn't like how God dealt with him in such a way that didn't please him. And he didn't like how good God dealt with him. And God didn't have necessarily respect unto the people, but unto their actions. And that one was obedient, one was disobedient. And what he did was, he stewed over it to the point to where he did what? He murdered his own brother. And I believe that bitterness can do that right there. You know something, what we need to understand is, is there is a progression that clearly takes place. And what we need to understand is, is how can I deal with bitterness? So we need a practical solution for bitterness. And so what we find is, verse 31 teaches us something interesting. It starts off and it says, let all. So God is trying to teach us that we need not miss any sin regarding bitterness or any sin in our lives when it comes to us dealing with things in our lives. Excuse me. And He says, let all be put away. That idea of put away, it means to pull up. See, God wants us to root up all of the bitterness. See, if we will go to the root of the situation, we can deal with things in such a way to where to deal with all of the anger, all of the aggression, all of the agitation, all of the wrong and raw emotions that you have. If you'll go to the root of that bitterness and pluck it up, it'll help us to where we can go 
on such a way to where we will please our Lord and Savior. And so what we find is, is that God doesn't want us to miss any. He wants us to pluck it up. And so what we need to ask ourselves then, so how do we solve the problem of bitterness in our lives? How can I get to the point to where I can get all of the bitterness out of my life? How can I pull it up out? How can I pluck it up to where it's not in my life, in my marriage, in my church, in my life? How? Well, first of all, number one, we need to look and see. Hebrews 12.15 says this. If you want to turn there, you can and hold your place. I'll just read it. You can jot it down. But Hebrews 12.15 teaches us that we are to look diligently to inspect our lives. That's what it means. He says, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. So the idea is that we need to first of all look diligently in our lives. And very simply put, that means that we need to oversee our lives. We need to inspect our lives. But more importantly, we need to let God inspect our lives. I'll give you an example. When I was first in the military at the age of 17, it was new to me. I left my home. I wasn't really used to being away from my family. And uh, as I was away from them, I had to have responsibility. Now, as a, looking back, 17 is still really young, and I, I think about it. I'm not that old now, but I even look at 17, and I'm thinking, I don't know how I made it. I really don't. Um, different things that I wasn't used to. I had to have things in such an orderly way to where if it wasn't, it was just bad news. I can think of one instance when I first was in transition in my duty station in Fort Carson, Colorado, and as I was out there, we had a, uh, an inspection. I wasn't quite to my unit, but I was transitioning in uh, Fort Carson to the actual unit I would be with, with the brigade and, and various things. And uh, as they popped an inspection on us, I had everything spread out. I didn't know what to do, so I grabbed everything, bundled it up, and threw it in my closet. I kid you not. Bad mistake. And I remember when they went through inspecting and looking at our different rooms, they chewed me out. I won't repeat it. It's not, not good. But anyhow, it was bad. It wasn't good at all. And as I think about it, it was just simply put because I tried to take and throw my junk and my mess in a closet and hide it away. And what we do with bitterness is, is we take it, ball it up, throw it in a compartment in our lives, and we say it's over here, it's not, not hurting me, not hurting anyone, nobody knows about it, it'll be okay. In reality, what we need to do is inspect our lives and being willing to go to God and saying, God, I have this in my life. See, God knows what you and I are made of. He knows what is in our life. He knows what we think. He, he knows everything about us. And what we need to do is say, as the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. You know what we need to understand is the psalmist said that right after he said in the psalm, uh, Psalm 139, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Man, I you hate somebody with a perfect hatred. He was talking about he hated violence. He hated these wicked people around him. And he ended the psalm saying, Lord, after I've said all these things, search my heart. Let me not be right, wrong with you. Let me be right with you. Because I've said some things and I've dealt with some things in my heart and life. And ultimately, you'll let me know if I'm bitter. 
And what we need to do is be willing to go to God and open ourselves up and say, Lord, have your way in my life. Search my heart and my marriage. Let your word speak to me and teach me and let me know if I'm bitter. Holy Spirit, speak to me. So number one, we need to, we need to look diligently in our lives. That's inspect our lives. Let God ultimately inspect our lives. But number two, there is an aspect of God that needs to be involved. Not just Him inspecting our lives, but God's grace needs to be involved in our lives in this area of plucking up bitterness. You say, how is that? Because as you look in Hebrews 12, He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, does that mean that God fails us? No. Does that mean that God's grace will fail us? No. He says, looking diligently, you inspecting your life, lest any man fail of the grace of God. That is you looking in your heart and in your life and saying, you know what, Lord? This shouldn't be there. This sin should not be in my life. You take your finger and you put it on your life and say, Lord, I'm bitter. And it goes back to this moment right here. And what you're doing is, is you're inspecting your life. You're asking God possibly to inspect your life. And see, God's grace comes to play because when you look diligently, you say, Lord, I need your grace in my life for this area right here. See, because it's not that we can say that God's grace fails us. It's that we can say we fail to avail ourselves of God's grace. See, when there's an issue in our life or there's something in our life, we can come to God and say, God, I need grace in this area right here. How about this? God, I need your grace to forgive me. Will you forgive me? See, God forgives us based upon grace. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, He helps us to get past the sins in our lives when we come to Him and God exercises His grace to forgive us. Excuse me, to forgive us. It's as if a father and a son have a difficulty, a spat, or a fight, or a husband and a wife. See, they deal with it and it's not that they stop becoming a father and a son. It's that they have distance between them and it has to be dealt with. And see, God's grace comes to play and that He helps us in that area by forgiving us. But also, I think about 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and that is Paul was in a difficult situation and he besought the Lord thrice, the Bible says, Verse 9, the Lord responded with a promise and He said unto Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, God's grace is good enough to save. Well, God's grace is good enough to help me deal with bitterness in my life. And so, number one, we need to look diligently if we're going to deal with uh, bitterness. Number two, we need to understand God's grace needs to be a part of me plucking that up out of my life. But number three is this right here. We have to, last of all, go back to Ephesians 4, and this is where we're going to close. We have to remember the cross. Very simply put, see, bitterness harbors anger in your heart. Bitterness chooses not to deal with the situation. See, bitterness says you've done me wrong, and it gets to the point to where I want you to be done wrong. 
And so what we find is verse 20, excuse me, 31, he starts off and he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So he ends up with malice and he says, Let all bitterness with all malice. See, he wants them to get all of that out of their life. And see, notice the colon, verse 31. See, the thought is being continued to verse 32. And the conjunction. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know the, the arch enemy of bitterness? Forgiveness. That's what it is. See, when you choose not to exercise forgiveness, you are choosing to rather have bitterness. When you choose to say, I'm going to be bitter, you're saying, I'm not going to forgive you. And you know something that is so contrary to God? It's unforgiveness. And what we understand, verse 32 teaches, it draws our minds, or at least it does mine, back to the cross of Calvary. Because if we can remember the cross, we can help... Uh, it'll help us, excuse me, to get to the point to where I can forgive somebody. I cannot be bitter with somebody. When I think about the cross, it's impossible to truly be bitter. And you say, how is that? It's broken down into three areas. He says, be kind, tender-hearted, and to forgive. Three aspects of the cross. See, kindness gives you the idea of goodness or benevolence. Isn't that something that is displayed on the cross? God's goodness to you and I when we were yet sinners in due time. Christ died for you and I. That we who, who, who were worthy of death and hell and separation from God for all eternity, yet the goodness of God through His infinite mercy was displayed on the cross of Calvary. See, God's goodness and benevolence was on the cross. But it doesn't just stop there because He says the kindness uh, be kind and he doesn't just say just that that's it he says be kind one to another tender-hearted literally tender-hearted means to be compassionate it is you sympathizing for somebody else you see their pain in your heart and you're moved to do something about it isn't that something that God did? He looked from heaven to earth and He said they cannot save themselves. They are sinners, yet I love them. And He was moved with compassion to the point He went to a cross where He didn't have to go. He suffered on the cross of Calvary and He died for you and I. And He arose victoriously from the grave. See, God did that because of His tenderheartedness, His compassion. And you know something that doesn't just stop there because it says forgiving one another. Even what? As God hath for Christ's sake forgiven you. You know, I want to ask you a question. How many people the day Jesus died were at the cross begging for forgiveness? None. The closest one I can find is the thief on the cross. And you know something? Every last soul at that day around that cross should have been at the feet of Jesus begging for forgiveness. And you know something? There's nothing you and I can suffer or go through from a person to where we can say, I never can forgive you. Because let me ask you this. When does Jesus say to you, that's too much, I can't forgive you? He says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come unto me all. You know what He says? 
And him that will come to me, I will in no wise cast out. We must learn this forgiving one another. This is something that is godlike. This is something that will help us not be bitter. Because when we think about the cross, we think, Lord, you forgave me for what I what I've did what I've done to you. I can forgive something as little as this. And it may be something big. But to God and what we've done to Him, it's no comparison. And you know what I think about Matthew six fourteen and fifteen. For if ye for if if he excuse me if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And ultimately, bitterness says, "I'm not going to forgive you." So as I get ready and close, I want to ask you a question. And that's this. How many of you are dealing with bitterness? How many of you are truly to the point to where you say, you know what, somebody's done me wrong and I'm, I'm to the point to where I just can't forgive them? You know, nobody here can ever get to that point. So remember this. When somebody does you wrong, last of all, remember the cross. And see, bitterness says... I remember how you spoke to me. And you have a little book. Now, maybe you don't have a book. Maybe you do actually have a book that you write down every time somebody does something wrong. And you write it down. I remember when you did that. 9 a.m. You said this right here. And you said it in this tone. Now, you may not write it down, but in your heart, you're keeping a ledger. You know what? Forgiveness says there's nothing between you and I. God forgave me for what I've done to Him. I can forgive you. And so as we think about that, are you a bitter person this evening? And just very simply put, uh, we can answer that question. But what I want us to do is ask the Lord to help us. Now, maybe we're not bitter right now, but in the future, we can get to the point to where we say, Lord, I need you to help me. Because maybe not now, but one day we will be. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, let's just ask the Lord to help us as we get ready and close. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for your word, and I ask you to be with us and help us, Father, as we leave here, to, that we could exemplify what it is to be a Christian, to where our lives and our lips could honor and please you, because, Father, we love you, and we thank you for asking all in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear whoever I'm handing it to. All right. So anything is in. We're closed. We're dismissed. All right. Amen.